every election ever and beer. Welcome back. Eddie, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm back. Yeah, we noticed. I finally got my, my, my family's healthy again. That's good. If you ever have the opportunity to enjoy three women in a household getting sick in the same three or four days, I highly recommend you don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I can we had, imagine. We that. had one that was a puke sprinkler for about 18 hours, and then she passed it to her older sister, and then my, then my wife got it. You really should have tried to just tell your wife when she was sick with the two kids. That you were going to come to my house and record an episode. <laughs> she was, when you said, do we need to record this podcast? I went, listen, I've got an op, I've got a decision to make. I can either get a, I can either get a divorce or I can say no to this. That was it right there. That was the decisive moment I mean, in your marriage. No bueno. <laughs> if I'd have said yes to that, I would have been, a, I'd been married to a podcast. <laughs> I got to tell you, Eddie and I had a, Eddie and I had a really good time without you. Uh, we did notice though, that there was no inappropriate comments made. Well, so you got to work on that. It's you probably pick up the slack I'll pick time. up the slack this time and, and add some uh, some flav. We needed we needed some color, <laughs> some off color yes, last time. No problemo. What what are we drinking tonight? Uh, I've got the uh, Uprising Hefeweizen from Highwire Brewing. What is a Hefeweizen? It's a wheat beer. Gotcha. I mean, so, I, I really it's, it's Hefeweizen is usually a wheat beer with some sort of citrus overtone. Am I am I right on that, Eddie? Yes, and it's. I love it. I love a good wheat beer. You ever had like um, a shock top or a blue moon? Oh, God, or, yeah. Shock, yeah. Shock top is close to us, right? Aren't they? Aren't well, they around here? It's like a. I think it's Atlanta beer, isn't it? I don't know. I thought they were. It close. may be. It may be. I don't know. All I know is when when we go to the uh, to the the coast, um, first stops to the store, and we get a case of uh, a shock top, a case of of uh, Leinen Kugel. Which is a shandy, uh, oh, usually yeah. usually a lager mixed with lemonade. Shandy Fan. sounds like she works at a strip club. Shandy, yeah, I'll right? drink, yeah, I drink I drink Kugel shandies when it's like sometimes here it'll get up in the summer about a hundred and four degrees, yes. hundred and five degrees, comfortable one hundred and four. Yes, <laughs> and of course I don't work in the summer. I get three months off. So yeah, that sounds horrible. That would be Shut old, up, Eddie. Be terrible. <laughs> oh my, my wife's at work, so I'll go outside in 105 degrees with the dogs, and I'll drink some lining kugels. It's it's meant for blazing hot weather. Before we get to the other beers, let me ask this question. Does your wife stomp around like a mad hatter during the summer when she wakes up? I really hope <laughs> That she does that <laughs> and like throws things everywhere. Because I don't so know, man. I'm asleep. Exactly. <laughs> calls you. Calls you when she gets to work. Just want to let you know I made it here all right. <laughs> so I'm drinking another Sierra Nevada beer. I had one last time. It You're, was good. You've become a fan. I know. I They're am. They're good. I'm drinking a hazy little thing IPA oh. because oh, Van Buren was a little good thing. One. Mm, yeah. That's a pretty good IPA. I don't love IPAs. But that is a pretty good one. I do like a, a few Here's the IPAs. Thing. Eddie, when you drink an IPA, does it hurt your does it hurt your stomach? Is it a little too acidic, too bitter for you? Yeah, it's a it's a little bit bitter. I love IPAs. Love the taste of them because I like the bitters. I'm, I'm a huge fan of cigars. Yeah. Big cigar drink, a big big cigar smoker, big coffee drinker. Um, bitter the better. But when I drink IPAs, then that night I have to drop. Two or three antacids, or I'm just wrecked. And I'm having yeah. this beer, by the way, with 
my Cuban sandwich from Aroma <laughs> Cafe. But it's an incredible Cuban restaurant in the middle of if you're nowhere, a Yelper, Tennessee. if you're a Yelper yep. and you look up best restaurant in in Maryville, which you know is where we live, yep. it is the number two restaurant. And you you drive up to this place, and it really is kind of dumpy looking on the outside. Yeah, but you go on the inside, and it's so authentic, and it is. Fan flipping tastic. Incredible food. food in the middle of East Tennessee, a Cuban restaurant. You would, ne- you would never believe it. Now I kind of think that you guys are doing like secret commercials and not splitting the money three <laughs> we are, ways. We're cutting you out completely. Exactly. Cha-ching. Every time we mention Cuban sandwich, we're making money. <laughs> and on that note, I just want to say whenever I have a headache, I take Motrin. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's gone in five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well played. That sounds like a bigger sponsor than we. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Sure the people at Bear are a little bit deeper pockets than the, the family at Aroma Cafe. I'm, I'm better at this than y'all, I guess. Clearly. <laughs> what are you drinking tonight? I have a Samuel Adams Cream Stout. Ooh. This is about the smoothest drinking stout that I've ever had. I mean, it is smooth. It is really good. Have you had it before? It's the first time I've ever had it, but it's really good. Okay. I like these Samuel Adams beers. Well, the, the seasonals are, are good. It's it's funny, like, um, I didn't know this, but they don't keep the same recipe from year to year on the seasonals. Oh, so, I didn't know that either. So you'll you'll do a, what was what did they call it last year? It was like the, the winter brew was awesome. And this year, I not, think it's called not, Cold Snap. Not so good this year. How are you enjoying your wheat beer there, Scott? I love it. I love it. I'm glad to see that. I brewed up a batch of beer right before before we started doing the show. I finished up with it. I'm making a special tribute to Theodore Roosevelt beer. It's going to take me six weeks to make it. I was telling telling a, a fellow brewer about the blood of the blood of tyrants. He loves the name absolutely loves it's amazing it's a really good brew i mean shout out to chris pandolfo who came up with the name i mean that's one of those stroke of geniuses that you know if you you could say you almost want to say like no i really don't like that and then you're writing it down and you get it to your editor as soon as you get it exactly put a trademark on this quickly <laughs> that's a high point in chris's career congratulations <laughs> all right back to the election all right Election of 1836. I'm going to start with a little teaser because now, after I did the Bucktails thing a few episodes ago and then <laughs> finished with the dueling, yes. now I think, okay, I'm going to start every time with something that everybody will find interesting. That's good. We like interesting. Yes. I'm going to start by saying that I'm going to talk about the National Bank, but it's going to lead into... The first assassination attempt on a president in all of American history. Ooh, was it Andrew Jackson and did he ask for it? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, shoot me. I dare you. Yes, it was Andrew. The guy with the guns goes to the hospital and Andrew Johnson does. I mean, Andrew Jackson does not. (laughs) That is typical Andrew Jackson. Andrew Andrew Jackson (laughs) is my man. I mean, he had a few flaws. But still, I mean, kind of a hothead. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, he's forever associated with the Trail of Tears, though. I mean, it's 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 very hard to judge someone through the 
through the gift of hindsight. Well, I mean, it's 250 it's, years ago. Yeah, and, and not only that, I mean, we can look at the Founding Fathers, and we're tearing down statues all over the place because of things that they did as well. I mean, you know, they, they had slaves. So there's arguments to be made that, that every human is flawed, and some were really majorly flawed that actually had a lot of influence on the country. We know that's the case. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you totally don't talk about them or or kind of throw history away. That's a mistake, I think, on almost every case. I agree. I think most people feel that way. Yeah. You know, it, you can't always demand that everybody meet perfect standards because then everyone will disappoint. I mean, what if in 50 years – well, let's let's not get into all that. Let's talk about the bank. Yep, let's do all it. All right, so the bank – the National Bank of the United States just is Andrew Jackson's entire second term. He just 100% completely goes to war with the president of the National Bank. Because you remember we talked about last time the bank came up for recharter, Jackson vetoed the bank's charter, and then it was on. And the bank has a lot of ramifications. Number one, what Jackson does in taking national deposits from the National Bank and trying to put them into state banks instead is going to be a big part of what causes the panic of 1837. So it's a economy crasher. I have not really heard of the panic of 1837. You, you know, when you think of panics, you think of the Great Depression. It sounds like this was sort of a precursor to something like that. It's the biggest one in 1837. It's the biggest one that the country has ever seen. And it is the biggest one that the country will see until the Great Depression. The panic of 1837 is serious business. And um, part of it is the fact that the banks issue people money back then, like paper money. But it's not. U.S. money, it's just a bank voucher for money. There is no paper money in the United States yet at that time. Oh, that's a really interesting point. I never, I never really even thought about that. You'd always think, I mean, what would you, what president would you put on, on, a, on a dollar bill back then? Yeah, right. Um, Washington probably still. Yep. <laughs> but you'd have a hard time selling a lot of people on Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill, I can tell you that. All right, so Jackson is in this huge fight about the bank. Uh, the bank's president is no slouch. So he is fighting back with Andrew Jackson, and he's using every weapon in his repertoire. I want to try not to get too bogged down in, like, the specific bank stuff, but an important point about the bank is that Jackson feels that McCulloch versus Maryland is a wrongly decided Supreme Court case. And it's decided by, of course, the Supreme Court that is the Marshall Court. Because remember, the Federalists disappeared, but not Marshall. Marshall is still with us into the 1830s. And he is probably the most consequential leader in American history. He's probably more consequential than George Washington. He's probably more consequential than Thomas Jefferson in terms of their presidencies. Now, I mean, the Declaration of Independence, obviously, he's not more consequential than that. But in terms of 
once there's a constitution and the United States starts, John Marshall probably about as important as it gets. And one of the important things he decided was McCulloch versus Maryland, which is one of those court cases that you learn in ninth grade civics. And then when students get to college, their college professor asks them, raise your hand if you've ever heard of McCulloch versus Maryland. And every hand in the entire class goes up. And then you say, okay, now raise your hand if you can tell me one single thing about McCulloch versus Maryland. And not one hand goes up. Yeah. (laughs) Every time. It never fails. Sounds like you've asked that before. Oh, man, so many times. Every quarter, every hand goes up for having heard of it. Every hand goes down when you ask what it's about. But I know that you know, Matt, because you've been to law school, and I feel certain that you can't go through law school without learning about McCulloch versus Maryland. Am I right? Yeah, sure. We had that. We talked about it at least once. All right. I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody about it. Is that cool? Yeah, please. Go ahead. Unless you want to trying to put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. McCulloch versus Maryland. Here's what happens in a nutshell, okay? Alexander Hamilton comes up with the idea of the National Bank, which we put the federal money into the National Bank, and but it's also a corporation at the same time. This is how you make money grow. You put it into the National Bank. The National Bank kind of controls the economy. They're able to do not the kind of things that can be done today to, like, ameliorate a crisis or stuff like that, but they they do have actions that they can take to do stuff like that. So what happens is they build the National Bank in Philadelphia. It's a big success. Nobody complains. It's all fine. Then they build another national bank. This time they build a national bank in Maryland. And Maryland does not react the same way. Maryland is pissed. Maryland says, "Uh, excuse me, but if anybody should be building a bank here and profiting off of the people of Maryland, it should be the government of Maryland. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to pass a law, and we're going to tax every single transaction made at the Maryland National Bank. I know you can barely imagine a state thinking that they're going to tax the federal government. Sounds awesome, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I wholly endorse this idea. Yeah, this is before people understood what federalism was going to be. Yeah. So. What ends up happening is Maryland goes to court with the bank, and Maryland argues that the bank is unconstitutional because if you look at Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, at the enumerated powers, there is no enumerated power that says the national banking power. Therefore, the bank is unconstitutional. Tenth Amendment says that any power not specifically delegated to the federal government by the Constitution automatically belongs to the states or to the people thereof. Therefore, banking power not being enumerated in the Constitution belongs to the states. That's a good argument. Absolutely. That was Maryland's argument. 
Yes, that was Maryland's argument, and it is a very, very good one. I'm convinced. Yeah, but this is probably the first time the Supreme Court read something into the Constitution. (laughs) Yes. Well, Marshall is famous for that. Yeah. So here's what Marshall says. It's it's a four-pronged attack on state sovereignty, which is, uh, number one, he says precedent is for the bank because, hey— They built one in Philadelphia, and nobody said nothing. Uh, So you can't just suddenly have a problem with it when we're already building national banks. This is already what we do. All right, number two, necessary and proper clause. One of the enumerated powers is that you can do anything that is necessary and proper towards executing the rest of your powers. Well, if you don't have any money, you can't execute the rest of your powers. So that makes the bank necessary and proper towards carrying out the rest of the government's powers, according to Marshall. Slightly better argument, by the way, than the first. Yes. Here's the important one. Yeah. Marshall defines U.S. federalism. And this is the reason that you learn about this case in ninth grade civics, because Marshall says the federal government is supreme over the state governments, supremacy of the federal government. So uh, you may have had a question, how does our federalism work? Or is the state above the federal government, or is the federal government above the state, or are they side-by-side sharing power? Marshall says the federal government is on top, and it is supreme over the states. Definitely a federalist point of view. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's definitely a federalist. And that case and um, Marbury versus Madison, the two biggest strengtheners of the federal government in American history. All right. So what does all this have to do with anything? Jackson is absolutely at war with the bank. It's made him totally paranoid. It turns out the bank president is a freaking boss. Jackson really underestimated him, but he's got a lot of arrows in his quiver. And so Jackson becomes paranoid. There's this very famous quote. He says, the bank is trying to kill me, Mr. Van Buren, but I will (laughs) kill the bank. He's going to duel with the bank. Yeah, he's in a duel. Yeah. 100% he's in a duel with the bank. So here's what happened. Jackson goes to... A funeral for, I believe it was a member of Congress. He's coming back. This guy pulls out a Derringer. He's about 10 feet away from Jackson. He pulls out a Derringer. Uh, he fires it. All right, so uh, do you all know what a Derringer is? Yes. All right, it's uh, it's just a single shot. This is for pocket, anybody pocket listening. Yeah, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know. It's a single-shot pistol that works with a percussion cap. You pull the trigger, the hammer releases and hits the percussion cap, and it ignites, and it causes an explosion, and the flame from the explosion travels to the main powder charge and fires the gun. That's going to be important. I'm not just saying it for no reason. (laughs) So what happens is this guy fires and it hits the percussion cap so you hear the sound of a gunshot. Bang! But the flame doesn't reach the powder and so the gun doesn't fire. So the guy pulls out his second Derringer and he fires that. 
and the same exact thing happens. Nice so, look so by what this it's, guy. It's telling me, this is 250 years later, it's telling me it's probably very humid or raining that day. Well done, sir. Well done. And I'm going to tell you, first, I, I should say that Jackson beat the guy's ass with his hickory cane and <laughs> that guy went for medical care whereas uh jackson came out of it unscathed as per usual i'm sure he would have absorbed the bullet anyway if he the guy had fired at him caught each one in each hand and yeah. thrown them back at him yeah that's what i think you know i think actually both of the pistols fired but jackson just absorbed the bullets yeah <laughs> So 100 years later, the Smithsonian gets uh, Richard Lawrence's, that's the assassin's name. The Smithsonian gets Richard Lawrence's Derringers and fires them. And they both fire perfect the first time. And so uh, they come up with this, I don't know how they do the math, but they say the odds of both of them misfiring were 1 in 125,000. Wow. But... You were right. It was wet that day. And oh, that I was, was right. Lost it. I hate when Scott's right. Yeah, oh, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> Everybody Dude, that, out there that in took podcast like... land, this happens so much to, to Matt. It's he hates so, this. Yeah, I'm sulking right now. <laughs> the last thing it took a bunch of geniuses at the Smithsonian oh, God, to look at please. a bunch of evidence and do all this work. <laughs> and Scott just got it. Yeah, I was talking out my ass and nailed it the first time. You know, I moonlight at the Smithsonian, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> wow, and and by that he means he's a security guard there part time. <laughs> you asshole! That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I was right. I'm th- I'm going to quit right now. <laughs> yeah, stop all your head. Moving so, Matt, on, moving you, um, on, moving on. <laughs> you were here last week, Matt. Yeah, I was um, right last week. At some point. Yes, right. <laughs> you had to be. I was. What is our budding new political party? Our budding new political party would be the Whigs. The Whigs, yes. We have the Whigs emerging. The Freemasons, the Nullifiers, the National Republicans, the few Federalists who are left, and now... All the people who hate Andrew Jackson. They're the never Jacksoners. It's oh, a, a whole new party. Yep. It's real. They hate him. They call him King Andrew the First. These people form the Whig Party. They have nothing in common in terms of uh ideology. They don't believe the same things on the issues. I mean you have the National Republicans are now in a party with the nullifiers in South Carolina. Those are totally opposite positions. Like, those are totally opposite ideologies. But they're coming together because they just hate Andrew Jackson because he thinks he's king, allegedly. Well, go on and try to take him out. See what happens. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, they, they tried to kill him. He, yeah. They couldn't. I mean, he's, he's, pre- he's probably saying, you know, there's nothing they can't do. Obviously, I am predestined to be the king here yeah well the reason they think he thinks he's king is because he's used the veto power well by the end of his presidency 12 vetoes and how many how many had been used before do you know the answer to that i mean clearly it wasn't anywhere near 12 
I believe the first six presidents combined used the veto power ten times. Wow. See, there you go. They had to make a huge point about that, yeah. Yeah, so he's flexing his muscles. Jackson used it 12. Uh, when he vetoed the bank, they pretended like they they brought out this rhetoric like he usurped some kind of power. Uh, it's crazy. They acted like he... Like he unilaterally used his power to shut down the bank without Congress's permission. That's not what happened at all. He just used a veto, but they but they're liars. And so they lie about what he did. Well also, I mean I and and you may speak to this, but he pretty did a pretty good job of of pissing off a wide variety of people. I think you may have actually already said that, but Oh, yeah. Yeah, from the people that were ready to almost leave the union to, you know, people that believed in a strong federal government. He he pretty much made all of them mad. Yep. That's what happens when you are ideologically inconsistent. You just kind of piss everybody off. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the nullifiers really expected to have Jackson on their side, which uh, they could never forgive him for that. All right. So it's the election of 1836. And Jackson could run again, but he won't because nobody runs for a third term because George Washington set the precedent that you step down after two terms. And if you don't step down after two terms, who the hell do you think you are? You think you're better than George Washington? Uh, Uh, One person did, yes, but we'll get to that. That's going to (laughs) be a long time from now. But yes, after all of that, actually... It's probably a person who comes before who you're thinking. Oh, yeah, maybe. You're thinking of FDR, right? Sure, yep. I was thinking of his fifth cousin, Theodore. Oh, Teddy. Yeah, Teddy. But Teddy has a technicality. But that's all coming. That's all... Coming soon. That's um, our teaser. In the future. Yeah. <laughs> so... Martin Van Buren is Jackson's hand-picked successor. But he's going to have a major problem because generally there's this thing that happens maybe not even once in a generation, but you'll have a president come along who's just larger than life. Yes. And the people who love him, they love him. Yep. And the people who don't love him, man, do they ever not love him. This sounds really familiar. Yeah, yeah, we've got one right now, don't exactly. we? Exactly. It's like that. So you got George Washington, and then he's, you know, the first president. He's George Washington. So he's this larger-than-life, super-important character. And he basically gets a third term because they select the guy from his party, John Adams. You know, they pick somebody to do that third term. But then that person that they pick, oh, it's like the third term of George Washington. That person's always a tremendous disappointment. Yeah. Because you were not going to be George Washington if you're John Adams. Not even close. Right? And then later we'll have Teddy Roosevelt serves two terms. And then who comes along? His handpicked successor, William Howard Taft. Taft is a huge disappointment. Surprise, surprise. Uh, You have two terms of Ronald Reagan, and then who gets that third term? 
George H.W. Bush. Huge disappointment for everybody. Uh, that's how it's always been. And uh, the other time that it happened was two terms of Andrew Jackson, and then you get Martin Van Buren. Marty. Martin Van Buren. Marty. Yeah, Marty. The Red Fox. Uh, the Wizard. The Little Magician. The real MVB. Old- <laughs> yeah. Notorious MVB. I like that. yeah. That's one of the newer ones. Old Kinderhook. Okay. Man, there's one I wish I could think of right now. Um, Just make it up. That's what we yeah. do. Nobody listening knows they history. Him, <laughs> they called him, um, shoot, I wish I could think of it. They called him, I think it was Sweet Orange Whiskers. Oh, God. Sweet Orange Whiskers? Yeah. That's what Scott kind of looks like yeah, right this, now. I mean, you got a little orange in your beard. That's not right. <laughs> you do. <laughs> but it's gray. Let's see if Cindy will call you Sweet Orange Whiskers. <laughs> they spread a rumor that he put perfume on his sideburns. Who doesn't do that? I they mean, call I it... do that. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, they just smell like skunk. Put a little sandalwood in the, yeah. in the whiskers. <laughs> the... That's going to be the election of 1840, which is off the hook. It is the best election of all time. Off the kinder hook. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Boom shakalaka. Yeah, can you put in, like, um, a nuclear bomb sound right there Absolutely. or something? Yeah, it's going to happen. That's what happens when you get to edit the show. I can put in whatever I want. Absolutely. Let's see. Okay, imagine... In the year 2020, we have all these Democrats running for president. Lots of people who are Democrats are worried because they think, well, um, I don't think that that person can win. Oh, I do think that that person can win. I only think Biden can win and somebody else only thinks Bernie can win, right? So it's like, well, uh, Biden is popular among African-Americans in the South. So if you don't pick Biden then Trump will win re-election. And then other people say, oh, no, but nobody's excited about Biden, so we need Bernie Sanders because people are excited about him. So imagine that the Democrats, considering all of this, decide, here's what we'll do. Remember the election of 1824 where Jackson got the most electoral votes, but he didn't get to be president because he didn't get a majority of the electoral votes because they were split among so many candidates. Here's what we'll do. Let's nominate Biden and Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and let them all run and split the electoral vote into pieces. And then we'll just let the House of Representatives pick the president. That's the idea that the Whigs came up with in 1836. Let's get it thrown into the House. They want to get it thrown into the House. So that's what they decide. They decide, let's run everybody. We got somebody who's popular in South Carolina. Let's run him. We got Daniel Webster. He's popular in Massachusetts. Let's run him in Massachusetts. Let's see. We've got William Henry Harrison. He's popular up north. Let's put him on the ballots up north. We got somebody down south who's popular in the south. Let's put him on the ballots down south. And so when you go in these states, Nobody is on the ballot except for the candidate that is chosen for that place. So it's like 
in the states that William Henry Harrison ends up winning, William Henry Harrison is the only Whig on the ballot. Gotcha. Okay, in Massachusetts, Daniel Webster is the only Whig on the ballot. They remember very well the election of 1824 because it just happened. And so they're looking to replicate it, and they just almost, almost succeed at this. So what they're doing is they know that that Marty is going to be on the ballot in every state for the for the Democratic Republicans, right? That's right. Well, for the they're the Democrats. They're now. just the Democrats now, and so yeah, they're going to nominate their best option in every single state from the Whig Party to run against him. So they know. For example, that Daniel Webster is probably not going to do very good in the South. They're going to nominate him in the North in certain states because they think he can win those states and take it from Van Buren. And really, they're not trying to beat Van Buren with any of those as far as getting a majority of the college. They just want to make sure he doesn't get a majority of the college so it gets thrown to the House. Right, and then they'll just let the House choose the president. And hope that there's enough people that don't like Jackson at that point that they're not going to vote for his vice president either. That's right. Yes, 100%. He's Jackson's hand-picked successor, but he's really easy to, to attack. I mean, he's a northerner. He's, well, you'll see how he gets attacked when we get to the election of 1840. William Henry Harrison is the Whig who does the best. He wins 73 electoral votes. He, he's right there with Van Buren in the popular vote. He gets almost as many popular votes as Van Buren. Hugh L. White is uh, the Whig that does good in the South. He wins a couple of states, Tennessee, Georgia. Daniel Webster, like I said, won Massachusetts. You got a nullifier running in South Carolina. His name's W.P. Mangum. I don't know anything about him. But if you add up all their popular vote, they actually got much more popular vote than Martin Van Buren did. Mm. But Van Buren got just enough electoral votes. If William Henry Harrison had won Pennsylvania, this would have gone to the House to be decided. What's the gut feeling that would happen in the House? Uh, I think in the House, probably William Henry Harrison comes out victorious. Let me ask you this other question, and maybe you're going to get to it. But assume they don't go with this strategy and they just go with one like maybe Harrison. Did they screw up with that? Would they have actually had a chance of beating him one-on-one? The easiest way to answer that question is to point to the election of 1840. So teaser. Yeah, should I spoil it? No, just let's make that a teaser. We're going to find out pretty soon. Yeah, we're going to find out. Listen to the next episode of Every Election Ever and Beer, and 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 I will answer that question. Yeah, you'll see perfect hindsight from uh, from this election. Yeah. All right, questions. Yeah, let's get let's get the final tallies. Did we get that for the for the electoral count? Yeah, Van Buren won 170 electoral votes. He needed, uh, I believe, 148 to win, so he won it by 22. So I got gotcha. you, Pennsylvania. He he won Pennsylvania by not that much over William Henry Harrison. If Pennsylvania had gone the other way, it would have been thrown to the house. Pennsylvania's been a huge state from the very beginning and all this. Yeah, definitely. So when Jackson finally left office, was he one of those candidates that just kind of slipped into obscurity, retirement home, fishing on the weekends, 
or is he heavily involved in the politics of Washington still after his presidency? Oh, yeah, Jackson is going to be heavily involved. He's going to campaign. Uh, he campaigned hard for Martin Van Buren in, um, or he's going to in the 1840 election. He's going to campaign hard for Van Buren. Sweet Sandy Whiskers. Sandy Whiskers. Man. Sweet Sandy Whiskers. Jeez. I think, I think you know, the more you describe Van Buren and his nicknames, Scott could really play him in a biopic. I, I'm sitting there looking at him <laughs> across the table. Oh, I just flipped you off. <laughs> yeah, I know. As soon as you opened your mouth, I knew that was geared at me. I'm still Sandy ma- Whiskers. I'm still like mad that, that you, were, uh, you were right at the beginning of the show. <laughs> no, here's how you— you're, I'm here's, holding that against okay, you. Okay, so Derringers are always kept in the pocket. They're a pocket pistol. Yeah. Well, if you're riding all day and it's on a perfectly unhumid day— Riding on a horse is a very sweaty proposition. So if you're riding through any part of the South, it's going to be humid as all get out. Well, those Derringers have to have some type of primer to it. Like it's usually like a piece, like a blasting cap has, it's almost like a paper material. Well, if that gets moist, it doesn't fire. It doesn't fire at all. There you go. Is it? Is everybody picturing Scott in a lab coat, like I, with a beaker right no, no, now? I was thinking, I was smoking about, beaker. I was thinking more of Scott on the on a on a horseback, like Vladimir Putin. You're just gonna need a stepladder to get onto it. <laughs> <laughs> no, my horse is Neil for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what else do we need to know about this election? I feel like probably I skipped over things that were really interesting to me. It's but just... I think the main takeaway from this election is really the attitude of Congress towards Andrew Jackson is really so relatable to today. Yeah. Because of the whole bank thing, Congress just has a meltdown, but but Jackson has every right to veto the bank so congress's meltdown is misplaced now jackson does have a very narrow majority of democrats in the house but there's a big majority of whigs in the senate who hate andrew jackson but the senate cannot impeach you if the senate could impeach you jackson would have been impeached but the senate doesn't have the impeachment power so they censure Andrew Jackson. He remains to this day the only president of the United States ever to be censured by Congress. There's still time. The House, the <laughs> House of Representatives, instead of impeaching President Trump, had the option to censure him. I strongly believe the reason they chose to impeach instead of censuring was because. They knew that if they censured him, they would just be putting him into a club with only one other member that was Andrew Jackson, whose painting, whose portrait is hanging on the wall of Trump's Oval Office. They weren't putting him into a club with Andrew Jackson. Censure was not an option. Put him in the club with Slick Willie and, and, you know, almost Tricky Dick and Andrew Johnson. Those and folks. Johnson, yeah. yeah. Who wants to be in that club? Yeah, that's not as fun of a club. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible foursome in a golf game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on the way out, it sounds like, though, that this whole ending of Andrew Jackson's presidency really 
kind of crippled the Democratic Party for a while after that. You will see in the election of 1840 the great crippling. Well, it's 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 funny because you know we we were talking our other podcast politics, Matt and I were that the the what no one's really talking about now in modern politics is if Trump gets reelected, the net effect on the Republican Party for the next 16 years could be quite negative because you've got a candidate much like Jackson that sucks the air out of the room, sucks the air out of politics in general. The entire theme of politics for eight years has been one person. And when he's finally left the room, it's everything's deflated. You know, it's there's there's no energy. There's no gusto towards uh, any Republican candidate. And I feel I felt like, you know, for a long time, that's going to be the case, you know, for uh, the upcoming presidential elections for the Republican Party. And by far, probably the most polarizing president we've seen in our lifetime. And we've had folks like Bill Clinton in office. I'm interested to see the rest of, of what this this podcast has to offer, because. You know, in modern politics, Eddie, we talk about Trump being the most polarizing person, but we've learned about some pretty dadgum polarizing figures. Yep, that's true. They're everywhere. Wait till the next one. I cannot wait until we talk about 1840 because this is the best. 1840 is the best election of all time. You're going to recognize everything. I mean, if you think the elections from. 1791 to 1836—have looked like now. Wait until you see what happens in 1840. It is—it's my favorite. I'm looking forward to it, Matt. Yeah. Where can our viewers hear us? They can find us on Twitter. We're at Election and Beer. They can find us on Facebook, Election and Beer as well. And then go subscribe to our podcast. Go go listen to an episode. Listen to two or three episodes. We challenge you to do that. And find a friend that, that you think would like this episode and tell them about it, too. Uh, we want you to subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on all your other podcast apps. And come back for our next episode. Eddie Zipper, the professor. It's a pleasure as always. Matt? Yep. On the way out, I think we're looking forward to 1840. It's I can't wait until 1840. It's going to be great. To all of our loyal listeners out there, thank you so much uh, for tuning in on a regular basis. Um, we love you and look forward to talk to you about 1840 next time. 